Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I want to talk about just uh, just the fact that really someone who's um, sensitive to to their own lives, to sensitive to the world, sensitive to to really reality, um, uh, really understands uh, that we're really living in two worlds at once. We're we're living in the the day to day world. The sun rises, the sun sets. 24 hours, seven days a week, um, 12, sometimes 13 months in a year. And then also, um, we're actually part of this, this eternal process, um, which is beyond time. And both of them are going on simultaneously. Um, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haber gives a very um, important uh, definition of the word eternity. Um, we tend to think of eternity as the um, uh, ever unrolling of time. That, that it's just time just keeps on going, keeps on going, keeps on going, and then that's, that, that's eternity. But, but Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says something much deeper than that. That this idea of netzach, of eternity, is actually, it's a dimension beyond time. So that which is eternal isn't um, forever in the sense of time never runs out. But it's, it's a dimension that's actually impervious to time itself. Um, and that ultimately, that, that dimension where time is, is a factor, um, which, is, which is our lives, is really a subset of a greater structure which is actually beyond time altogether, Im- impervious to time altogether. And we'll see how that actually relates in a more concrete way to to our lives right now and, and where we are in the calendar right now, because we're in this exalted period of Pesach becoming, uh, Purim becoming Pesach. And, and we'll see how, how, how these ideas uh, land, but, um, but, but we'll have to build to that. So one of the things that I just want to point out, just because it just hit me and, and I was, I was moved by it, um, is that, uh, you know, according to some opinions, the, the miracle of Purim actually took place in, in, the, in Adar Beis, the, the second Adar. Um, and that, that's meaningful for, for a number of reasons. Um, but but, but just, just as a, 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 an overall kind of like review, um, we've got a, a construct which is, which is pretty familiar, which is the interrelationship between the number seven and eight. So seven stands for this world, like seven days in the week and everything like that. And eight stands for that which is beyond seven, meaning the supernatural. And of course, the Maral famously talks about that that's one way of us understanding Hanukkah, because Hanukkah is eight nights and that's really the miraculous level. But less discussed, um, but, but equally uh, meaningful is, is that similar relationship that we see between 7 and 8, between 12 and 13. So there are 12 months to the year, and there are 12 constellations, and so that represents the natural order. But then we've got the concept of the 13th, which is beyond, which is the miraculous. And that's why it's so interesting that you see the idea, according to some opinions, that that the miracle of Purim actually took place in the 13th month of the year. Because you see, we have every seven years, seven out of, rather not every seven years, but seven out of every 19 years, we have a leap year. Um, and in, in our calendar, it's, it's not like we just add one day in February, we add an actual extra month, right? And that month is doubling the month of Adar. And of course, I heard from uh, Rab, Rabbi Salmon Trader so beautifully that we really, technically speaking, could double any month. So why are we doubling the month of Adar? And he answered that Adar is the month of joy, and through joy you can fix everything. Right? So that's why we're, we're adding an extra month of Adar, because... Through joy, we absolutely can fix anything. And that's going to hopefully uh, be a key for us later on as we develop this idea of the, 
the, the temporary and the infinite um, and how we live in two worlds simultaneously. But again, we still have to build to that. So, 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 so we have this idea then of, of, of a 13th month, which is a month which is above the 12th month, which stands for the natural order. And, and, and that's like this rarefied sort of reality that appears to us as, as sort of the normal unfolding of time, but it's, it's absolutely beyond time. And, and according to some opinions, that's when the miracle of Purim took place in the second month of Adar, which is the 13th month. Now, now let's develop this idea further, because you'll see something cool in a moment. And then hopefully we'll talk about the base of Rashis, and you'll see how this idea manifests itself in, with the very first letter of the Torah in a moment. Um, so, so, Purim is the 14th day of Adar, and the 15th day of Adar, but the Purim that most of us celebrate is on the 14th, 14th day of Adar. But on the 14th day of Adar, what we're doing is we're celebrating what took place on the 13th day of Adar. In other words, the 13th day of Adar is the day that Haman targeted for the extermination of the Jewish people, and the 13th day of Adar is the day that flipped over from a day of complete genocide and ruination into a day of total victory for the Jewish people in terms of our ability not only to survive, but to eradicate our enemies. So, so in, in that way, I don't think there's a full appreciation. Like mostly we're saying the 14th day of Adar, right? But again, the 14th day was just a celebration for what happened on the 13th day or what didn't happen on the 13th day, okay? So now, with this, in mind, with this in mind, let's put it all together, and this was the thought that hit me, was that what we're celebrating then is what happened on the 13th day of the 13th month. And 13 and 13 is 26, which of course is the gematria of God's holiest name, Yudke Vavke. So in other words, here you see God's infinite, infinite name, which stands for mercy, manifesting itself on the calendar in the most amazing way. And, um, and to me, that's a, that's, that's a beautiful thing. Now, let's go back into, let's go back into this, this idea where you see this idea of the 13th month, where you actually see this in the first letter of the whole Torah. So, and then we'll get a better sense of what I was talking about earlier as well. So, so we know that the base of Reishis, Reishis um, is the first word of the Torah, and it's... Uh, famously translated as in the beginning. But I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of Reb Shemini Bar Yochai that Breshis actually um, is better translated as with beginnings or out of beginnings God created the heavens and the earth. Meaning to say that the entire fabric of creation is just a series of beginnings and that every single moment is a new beginning. And again, this is so easy to dismiss that idea as sort of like something on a Hallmark reading card or something like that. But to actually understand that that's actually the, the, the physics and the DNA of the universe in our lives, that every single moment is actually a brand new beginning. And uh, this is literally a life-saving Torah. This is literally a life-saving teaching, if you can really understand what this means. So, so the Be'ez of Reishis, the very first letter of the very first word, um, in the Torah is written as a large letter. And, you know, that, this is a whole study in itself because everywhere in Tanakh, every letter is written at some point in a large form or in a small form. In other words, larger than the normal uh, writing or smaller than the normal writing. So the Torah begins with a large base, okay? Now, I saw from Rabbi Wolfson in the name of the Chassam Sofer, one of our greatest Torah commentaries, that when you see a large letter of the Torah, the gematria is four times what the normal gematria would be. Okay, this is a sort of, I think, a, a very rare teaching. I don't think most people know this, so if, you, if you've heard it, you should treasure it. So that means, that means that the very first letter of the Torah, and remember, this is our introduction. This is, the Torah is the blueprint of reality. So the very first letter of the very first word of the Torah is going to be sort of, so to speak, the archway we walk through into this world. 
meaning to say it, it is the introduction and a description of this world that we live in. So now again, it's the large letter base. So on the one hand, base uh, in a normal in a, in, a, in, a, in a normal understanding is the number two. But this is a large letter base, which means that while on one level it's the number two, on another level it's the number eight, because it's four times the normal gematria, four times two is eight. Aha. So now what is this telling us? What is this telling us? So eight we know is the number of miracles. But Breshis, the number two is talking about the nature of this world in the here and now. See, this world manifests itself as, as, as and it's called in, in, some, in, some, uh, in some Torah writings, that this realm that we inhabit, this dimension, is called the world of separation. And there is no separation. That's every talk is about the fact that there actually is no separation. Um, nonetheless, with our eyes on a superficial level, it looks like there's a separation between us and God. And that's what the letter Bayes is talking about. Again, Bayes means two. Two means good and evil, body and soul, male and female, heaven and earth, free choice, because I can do one thing or another thing. That's two possibilities, right? So darkness and light, multiple powers, right? It's, 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 it's a description of how we palpably, in a sensory way, experience this realm that we live in. Seems like there's a lot of nature and duality, right? But we know that, and we, we know that ultimately that's not the case. That's just what it looks like. So that's why it's so interesting that while the letter, the first letter of the Torah, which again is our introduction to reality, to this world, to the blueprint of our existence, that while it, 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 it is the number two, which is talking about nature, right? The natural order. Simultaneously, it's also the number eight, which is the realm of miracles, <laughs> right? Because it's a large letter base which is four times the normal gematria and four times two is eight, which means it's a world of miracles. So you see how simultaneously the very first letter of the Torah is telling us two things, which is that it, what appears on a very gut sensory level to be a world of n nature ruling, right? Really, simultaneously, it's a place where miracles have been implanted and that's also completely organic to the fabric of the universe and the fabric of our lives. There is no contradiction where miracles have to come in from another sphere and another power and then enter into our reality. They're part and parcel of our, our, our reality from the very beginning of everything. So, so we see this again in the 13th month. Because the 13th month, right? Just like 8 is to 7, it's above nature. 13 is to 12. You have the 12 months, which is the natural order of things. And then every once in a while, God, and, and in the most peculiar way, forgive me for saying, but seven times every 19 years. <laughs> like, what have you made a deal with someone and you said, you know what? I make a deal to say, I love you seven times every 19 years. You'd be like, what? What kind of freaky arrangement is this? You know, like this is weird. This is weird. So you have, what's interesting is, is that this supernatural aspect, this idea of a 13th month is coming in a very unpredictable way, right? Sometimes you'll have two years in a row that will be leap years. And then sometimes you'll go for years without a leap year. So it's this seeming erratic thing that you can't put your finger on and you can't quite harness, but it's very much there. It's very much there and it's part of the order, but just by its nature, it's, it has this unpredictable quality. Now we know, by the way, you can look at a calendar and you can see over the next 19 years which years are going to be leap years. Who determines? Right? This was all um, said about and, 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 the, and the calendar was fixed uh, in the time of the Talmud. 
Really? And yeah, and and with 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 amazing precision that 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 now um, I can't actually quote you the actual numbers, but I've I've heard them discussed several times, and the 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 accuracy to um, 0 0.00 decimal places that they've been able to um, get with the most sophisticated um, equipment now, like in, in terms of astrophysics. The most sophisticated equipment right now are confirming the calculations that the sages made 2,000 years ago about, about, the, um, about just the orders of the planets and everything like that and, and, and the timing of the calendar. It's, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And they say it must have been with prophecy. It has to have been with prophecy because otherwise, how could it be? And by the way, keep in mind, keep in mind that the very first commandment that the Jewish people got was to make a calendar. Right? This was the first commandment that we got when we left Egypt. And of course, there's an, a magnificent teaching attached to this, which is that what is the nature, what defines a slave? A slave is someone who doesn't have control over their own time. Right? Because the, 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 the province of a, of, a, of a master, right, is someone who is able to tell uh, the slave what to do and when to do it. Right? But but when we left Egypt, we stopped being slaves. And so God gave us this amazing mitzvah to be in control of our own time. And that's what's contained with the idea that the first thing that we got was to make the calendar. So now, let's, uh, let's go further. So, so, so not every year has two months of Adar. Most years don't. Now, if you were to ask me if there was a year that has two months of Adar in it, when should we make Purim? Should we make Purim in the first Adar or the second Adar? I would have told you, let's make it in the first Adar. More regular, right? Well, yeah, you know, we have that concept, by the way, in, 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 in Halacha, that um, when you have um, multiple um, reasons to bring offerings to the Beis HaMikdash, like, say, for instance, it's... Um, it's Shabbos, and it's Rosh Chodesh, and it's also just the, the daily offering. So there's a discussion in the Talmud, which, which offering would you bring first? Like you might say, well, Rosh Chodesh, you know, Shabbos, like the, the daily offerings come every day, by definition. The Shabbos offerings come once a week. The Rosh Chodesh only come once a month. So this is a special guest. So let's honor this special guest. Like for instance, you know where you see this? Um, in shul, like oftentimes, like uh, shuls will give uh, aliyahs, will will give that to someone who isn't someone who comes regularly as a way of honoring guests. Not not every place does that, by the way, but that is that is something that that's done. Okay, so there you see that that, that that's even a practice today in one form. But so you might say, well, Rosh Chodesh, bless you, Rosh Chodesh is a special time. It only comes once a month. It's a special guest. Let's bring that offering first. In, in the Holy Temple. But it's not the case, it actually goes the other way, the opposite way. That, that you go according to the most regular attendee, right? So you would bring the daily sacrifice first, and then you would bring the Shabbos sacrifice, and then you would bring the monthly sacrifice. That's how you would do it. Um, but according to that, since you, the one that's the most um, frequently in attendance is the one that you treat first, so according to your reasoning, that would be a very good uh, argument for having Purim in the first month of Adar. Because we rarely have a second month of Adar. Mm -hmm. And we always have a first month of Adar. So let's make sure that Purim is, is situated in the first month of Adar. That would be an honorable way to treat Purim. So um, I would give a different reason why we should do it that way, which is that we want to run to do a mitzvah. Right? So since this is our first opportunity to do the celebration of Purim and it's Adar, so let's run to do it in the first Adar. Okay, so as you probably know by now, the answer is we do it in the second month of Adar. We don't hold by any of those reasons. So, so and why? And why? Now, this is where we're going to get deeper, and this is where we're going to get to really what I want to discuss, okay? So why are we doing it in the second month of Adar? And the sages give a very uh, fascinating answer. It sounds very simple, but there's a lot to it. Um... We do it in the second month of Adar because we want to link the redemption of Purim to the redemption of Pesach. And of course, everybody knows 
that there's, um, everybody knows that there are uh, 30 days between Purim and Pesach. And we want to connect these two redemptions and have them as close together as possible. All right, so now I promised you that we were going to discuss the idea of living in two worlds simultaneously and um, living in the here and now and living in the eternal, right? Um, so let's, let's start to get into it a little bit more and see how it's playing out really in our lives in front of our faces right now. So what is, what is the redemption of Purim? So let's try to understand what the miracle of Purim is. Because if you read the Megillah, famously, the, 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 the Megillah, Megillah's Esther, which is the whole account of what happened on Purim, famously doesn't have the, the name of God in the entire thing. The Yudke Vavke, it's there, but it's hidden. It's there in, in certain, like, um, the last letters of certain words in a row and things like that, but it's completely hidden, and it's not, it doesn't appear in a revealed way in the entire in the entire Megillah. So, so, and yet, what's so interesting is, do you know what Megillus Esther means? And we're going to get to the B'nai Asaskar in a second. Do you know what Megillus Esther means? Megillah means to reveal, and Esther means what's hidden. <laughs> so Megillus Esther means revealing the hidden. That's, that's what the, the, the shorish, what the root of each of those two words means. The revelation of that which is hidden. So, so if you look at the story of Purim, there's nothing miraculous happening. Meaning to say, at no point does, um, you know, the yeah, right, like the, the sea doesn't split and like you don't see like ice falling down from the sky which is simultaneously on fire but still remaining ice. <laughs> you know, you don't, see, you don't see anything like this. It's just a series of natural events. So the B'nai Asaskar describes, he gives a, a, a mushal, an analogy. He describes the, the miracle of Purim this way. He says that it's like someone is sick in bed and they're dying. And a doctor, and this is, say, in Poland, and um, a doctor, you know, looks at the, the patient and he says, you know something, there's a cure for this patient, but he needs an herb, which is a very exotic herb, and the only place that you can get it is in China. He said this, he said China. This is back in the 1800s, the Benea Sasker, that, that's his, his words. He says, the only place you can get this herb is in China. So what does that mean? That means basically the patient's going to die because to take a boat, this is before airplanes, to take a boat to China or to contact China and have China send over a boat with this herb for this patient, the, the patient doesn't have that long to live. So that's the end of that. So then after the doctor says it, there's a knock at the door and someone says, a boat just came in from China with this herb. <laughs> And they're able to get the herb and they're able to save the patient. Now, is there a miracle there? There is a miracle there. Because how is it possible that the doctor just said that you need this special medicine, but it's rare and it's from this very unlikely place. And then all of a sudden there's a knock at the door to tell you that, that this thing is, has just come in. But did, did, did like... Someone like fly? Did someone like jump and start like flying like Superman? Or was there some crazy? There's no miracle in that story. And yet, if you think about it, it's totally miraculous. It's totally miraculous. You see, we have a concept in Torah. So, what is the nature of that miracle? You see, and this is starting to get very deeper. Already. What is the nature of that miracle? That means, you see, we, we have a, 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 a concept in Judaism. It's called the refuah lefnei hamaka, which means that God sends the cure before the, before the hit, if you will, the, the, the patch or the, you know, the, the pain. That the, that the cure has already been thought of before the pain comes down, right? Before the jail cell, if you will, is made, First, the key is made. How to get out of it before the jail cell is even made. 
And so, so that means in this story, since God knows everything, that means in this story, before the person even got to this desperate level of sickness, God was already sending the medicine to cure the person. And, and that, that already now sort of like expands our minds in terms of how God is interacting with us in terms of the here and now. Which means that God is already setting up cycles of causes and effects in advance of our needing them and in advance of our situation. And that's, that's really beautiful because, because it shows you how involved God is in our life that he's anticipating, like, can you imagine you're riding down the 405, you're, da- you're going down one highway, and you look around and there's no one around to help you, right? But meaning, meanwhile, speeding down the 10 <laughs> on a completely different lane that you can't even see is your salvation ready to catch up with you. And it's already there and pursuing you at a time where it looks completely invisible and where you imagine that you're totally alone and isolated. Well, one of the things that it tells you is that you better keep on driving, right? Because if you don't keep on driving, then you're not going to intersect with the 10. See, that's why, like, you know, Reb Shlomo, I heard Reb Shlomo say one time, if you go to a coffee shop and you finish your meal, right? And the bill comes and you reach in your pocket and you realize that you didn't bring your wallet. What are you supposed to do? He says, order another cup of coffee. <laughs> See, you got you to gotta keep on going. <laughs> you got to keep on going. You got to keep on going because the salvation could be pursuing you, but if you stop, then it doesn't catch up to you, right? Because the 405 and the 10 only converge at a certain place. But if you stop before you get to that moment of convergence, then you blow it. So, so that's why the greatest Torah that anyone, I think, can teach another person is don't stop. Don't stop. Keep on going. Just keep on going. Don't stop. So, so now all of a sudden, Purim, Purim sort of like evolves into Pesach. And what's Pesach? Pesach is the open revelation of everything of the utter miraculousness of everything. Or let's put it another way. And again, we're still, we're still getting to what, what I want to share with you. I haven't said it as concretely as I want to say it yet. There's something really weird about the way God made the world, which is... And, and it's sort of like a, um, it's, there's a, there's a saying, but it's actually a real saying. This is not just sort of like, oh, this is just kind of a saying. You have to understand this is actually accurate, which is that it's always darkest before the dawn. That's actually true. That the night actually gets the blackest and the darkest before the light starts coming. So when we think in a very linear way, when we try to extrapolate based on our current situation and we just try to say, well, the future is just going to be a continuation of our future, of our, of our present circumstances, right? Then if we just see blackness, we, under, we, 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 will, we will make a series of miscalculations because we'll think, well, it's black. I guess it's just going to keep on getting blacker or since this is the ultimate blackness, it will stay this black. And what happens every single time, it gets lighter. <laughs> now, let me show you how you see that in the calendar. 
Okay? Which is that um, Nisan is the first month of the year. It's the month of Pesach, and it's the month of miracles. Nisan contains the word nes, which means a miracle. Okay? And of course, as we always discuss, there's a different tziruf, a permutation of the yudke vavke for every month. There's 12 possible permutations of the letters yudke vavke, and there's one that corresponds to each month of the year. So the permutation for the month of Nisan is, is the following. Yud, followed by He, followed by Vav, followed by He. In other words, it's the straight spelling of the name of God. In other words, if you're going to have 12 different permutations, one of them is going to be the straight, unadulterated spelling of God's name. And it belongs to the month of Nisan, because Nisan is the month of utter clarity and open miracles. Okay? So Nisan, think of it like a ladder. Nisan is at the top. All the way on the bottom is the month of Adar. It's the furthest way from clarity. The furthest way from clarity. And of course, then that makes sense because what's Purim all about? Purim is all about Hester Panim, the hiddenness of God. It's the opposite of the month of Nisan. It's total darkness and confusion and hiddenness, right? But now here's the amazing thing. What, it's not, on the one hand, the way we experience life, we experience life in a very linear way, which is that there was yesterday, then there's today, then there's tomorrow, and a marching in this way, and everything like this, and, you know, that's, everything just, just seems to be heading in a very straight, linear way. But the crazy thing about the calendar is that after Adar, which is total hiddenness and darkness, the sages say that the miracle of Purim has to be in Adar Shani, in the second month of Adar, in order to link it with Pesach. Because after the total darkness and hiddenness of the month of Adar, all of a sudden it's Pesach and it's Nisan. All of a sudden, from the darkness of the, of the, of the blackest part of the night, it doesn't keep on being dark. All of a sudden the light shines. Adar becomes Nisan. Darkness becomes day. The Rambam says that if a person is experiencing a, a, a negative downturn in their life, that they have to investigate their actions and they have to see to what extent are they responsible for the bad stuff going on in their life, right? And he uses a word which is, you know, kind of like searing, axarius, which means that for a person not to investigate their own actions to see to what extent they're responsible for the downturns that exist, it's axarius, it's cruelty, that a person actually is, is being cruel to themselves by not doing an account of their actions. On the other hand, on the other hand, so to the extent that a person knows that they're responsible for the downturns, they have the responsibility to, to fix them. But now I'm talking about something else. What I'm talking about is that in a, in a more macrocosmic way, in a, in, a, in, a, in a broader way, that if a person is being responsible, all right, let's talk about a person who, who is trying their best and is trying to be responsible, then you don't know how reality is going to evolve. That darkness can become light. Adar becomes Nisan. That for a person to say, here's the definition of exile. You ready? From Reb Labela Eger. That because today was like yesterday, that means tomorrow is going to be like today. That's the definition of exile. I'll say it again. To say that because today was like my yesterday, that means that tomorrow is going to be like my today. That's the definition of exile. 
That's, that, is, that is a playing out of saying that because right now it's completely dark, it's just going to either continue to get darker, 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 right? Because that's what it has to be, because that's, that, 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 that's, that's what it is. But then that's, that's a total miscalculation. Because then what happens? All of a sudden it becomes day and the sun comes out. You see, this is the concept of the base of Breshis simultaneously being the number two and the number eight, which is you have the natural order. That's the number two. Heaven and earth, good and evil. It becomes darker and darker. The illusion of many powers. And then, but, but God simultaneously implanted the miraculous into creation also, where all of a sudden darkness becomes light. <laughs> And that's as much as the part of the nature of the world as anything else. And God can absolutely do anything at any time. And this is the necessity of positive thinking. This is the necessity of positive thinking. Because positive thinking allows us to keep on trying. And allows us to stay in the game. And allows us to participate in the miracles that God wants to bring. You know, there's a an old joke, but it's it's not it's not a it's not a bad one. Which is someone goes up to heaven and, and complains, God, you know. Why didn't you make me rich, you know? And, and God basically says back to him, why didn't you buy a lottery ticket? <laughs> you know, I was waiting your whole life for you to buy a lottery ticket. Okay, I don't think I'm saying it right, but... <laughs> but the, the, the lottery commission at one point, their phrase really was, you got to play to win. <laughs> And, and, and this is the idea, now I think we're finally communicating, this is the idea of living in two worlds at once. Because you have the natural order in front of you. But you, and that's like Purim. That's like the idea of, you know what, I got some bad news. Unless you get an herb from China, you're going to die. Right? That's, that's the natural order. And then all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. A ship just came in from China. <laughs> Right? So you've got, the, you've got the natural order, but the natural order is a subset of the supernatural order which completely permeates this world simultaneously. But you only are privy to all of the wonders of this idea of the seven times every 19 years, right? This Adar base, this 13th munch, which is weaved into the fabric of everything like that. If you stick around. <laughs> if you buy the ticket. If you show up at the event. I'll tell you something. Just for my own life. I, you know, when, when I, I started keeping Shabbos and I wanted to get married and everything like that. And it was hard. I couldn't find anybody. And... Um, I went to some Jewish singles parties and they were horrible for me, you know. I did not enjoy them. And I met my wife at a Jewish singles party. I mean, I could tell you in a million years, that would be the last place I would tell you that I would ever meet my wife. At a Jewish singles party. And I absolutely met her at a Jewish singles party. And you know something? We didn't know any, we were from different worlds, you know. If, 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 there was no likely place for us. God can do anything, obviously. But there was no likely place for us to interact at all. Right? So if I hadn't gone, I wouldn't have met her. But I didn't want to go. But I went anyway, and I met her. <laughs> and why did I go, by the way? Why did I go? Because I remember thinking very clearly that night, the words of the Umshin of a Rebbe. I was by the Umshin of a Rebbe, speaking of miracles on Hanukkah, right? Which is the ultimate eight, right? 
And I asked, I said, Rebbe, please give me a bracha, I want to get married. And he looked me, you know, anyone who knows who the umption of a Rebbe is, he looked me like, with like super holy intensity right in the face. And he said to me, I think these were the exact words, a shidduch is a gift from God if you put in hishtadlis, which means effort, help will come from heaven. And this was now, I don't know, a few years after he told me that, but there was this party that I was told about. And by the way, it was a Jewish singles party on Christmas Eve in New York. <laughs> and I remember thinking, ah, I don't want to go. And then I remembered, I, I heard in my head the Rebbe's words, if you put in hishtatlis, if you put in effort, help will come from heaven. And I went. But, again, that's the idea of staying in the game. It's, that's just one example that could apply to many different aspects of our lives. It's not just talking about getting married. It's talking about everything. The idea of staying in it. Right? Stay in it to win it. And... And ultimately, you know, one of the most, we'll just finish up now, one of the most uh, impactful teachings that, 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 that I learned um, from the Torah was that, that God is completely in charge of results. We are just in charge of the effort. Um, and the problem is, is that we play a mind game with ourselves which is that we, we think that we're in charge of the results. And, and I think God predisposes us to think that we're in charge of the results. So, so it's something that we have to battle against, you know, that, that temptation to think that we're in charge of the results. But it's very natural to think that way. But we're not. Which means that all God is asking from us, all the world is asking for us, from us, and all we really should ask from ourselves is just the effort. But... But that means we actually have to try. It can't be a game. It can't be a game. We actually have to try our best. And we can fool a lot of people. We can fool a lot of people. You know, um, it's easy to talk a good game. But you know if you're really trying or not. Every single person really knows if they're trying or not. Are you showing up? Are you doing the work? You know. You know. And if you can say yes, that you are, then you're 1,000, 10,000% of success. 10,000% of success. And that, that showing up and that, that trying creates a vessel for us to be able to receive that help from heaven those those miraculous turns in our lives that we that we all want that we all want you know i think it was thomas edison who said that or maybe maybe it was thomas jefferson um, <laughs> who says he says that i find that um i'm, I'm the luckiest in life the times when i work the hardest <laughs> So, um, you know, luck has a great PR agent <laughs> that makes it seem like, oh, it's everywhere and it's everything, but, and you can't really get the address to it, but there is an address to it, and it's hard work. Opportunity meets, meets persistence. Yeah, yeah, opportunity meets persistence, that's, that's, that's nice, I like that. So Hashem should bless us that we really should be able to um, not be fooled by this world, not be, not be fooled that when it's dark, that it's always going to be dark, and that the darkness is just a, a preview of the future, um, but that rather we should live simultaneously in, in Adar and Nisan, right? And remember that, that Adar becomes Nisan. That as much as they're opposite ends of the spectrum, if you think of the months rolling out on a sheet of paper in terms of a ladder, 
Nisan's at the top, Adar's on the bottom. But then the most amazing thing happens. Adar then becomes Nisan. Right? And that the two are connected. And that tomorrow doesn't have to be today. And that ultimately, in terms of the destiny of the world, when the world receives its tikkun, when the world receives its ultimate fixing and its, and its, its, and its destiny, that, that we are all heading toward a tomorrow which is nothing like today. And that this has been built into the fabric of creation from the very, very beginning. And um, to the extent that we're holding ourselves back, God should bless us that we should really be able to make breakthroughs in our own life and fix whatever needs to be fixed. But at the same time, to stay in the game and to really be able to see the unfolding of the beautiful future. Here are some questions and answers. Question. If I look at the calendar, yeah. the first Adar has like a Purim Katan. Yes. So there's some way like if we're acknowledging that this should have been Purim, right? Yeah. And if you're saying 30 days later, that's what you're saying would have been Pesach, right. that's pretty much when we celebrate Purim on the second Adar. But if it weren't a second Adar, it would be Pesach. Okay, so you're saying something you're saying something unbelievable. It's it's so amazing that you're saying that, because I never thought of it in that way, and it's yeah. it's beautiful. Because if you look at the actual dates in the Megillah itself, you see that the whole victory over Haman actually occurred on Pesach. So, so, and that the three-day fast that they had was on Pesach, and they didn't even eat matzah that year. Okay? It was all during the first few days of Pesach that the wine feast took place and that Haman was hung. That, that happened on Pesach. So there you see that Purim happened on Pesach. Now, Haman targeted through black magic the date 12 months later on Adar as the day that the Jewish people would be most vulnerable, and that was the day they were supposed to be wiped out. But as soon as he got the idea for the plan, Haman and Esther went right into action right after he got the plan. Mordecai and Esther went right into action and foiled his plan right away, which was 12 months before the date that it was supposed to take place. So, so it all happened in the month of Nisan. Now what you're saying is that if one were to celebrate, um, since Pesach is 30 days after Purim, if one were actually to celebrate Purim in the first month of Adar, which we gave two reasons why it makes perfect sense why one should do it in the first month, right? 30 days later would be Pesach, which is when the whole story of Purim takes place. So literally in the 13th month, we are celebrating Purim on Pesach. Right? You, you have, like, which again, which is this totally divine supernatural aspect of the 13th month, which is beyond time, which is these two things actually coming together right in front of our eyes. So thank you for pointing that out. So, you know, if, if you want to see uh, just something I noticed in, in the Torah, in, in Parsha Tzav, which is our, the, the Parsha that we were reading just after Purim, and it's between Purim and Pesach, um, a connection between Purim and Pesach right, right here in the, in, in the Parsha itself. And of course, that's extra special since Purim doesn't appear in the five books. Right? So where do you see Purim and Pesach connected? Like the sages say they have to be connected. So um, there's a, uh, a teaching in, in uh, I believe it's in Gomorrah Megillah, that where Haman is like amazed. He's just had like this big downturn at some point in, in the story of, uh, of, of, of the redemption of Purim. And he runs and he sees Mordechai is teaching a group of students and he says to them, what are you teaching them? Right? And, and Mordechai explains 
that he's teaching them about something called the Kamitsa. And the Kamitsa, it's actually, I wish you could see my fingers, but it's sort of like if you take your middle three fingers, so in other words, your, your pinky and your thumb are at, you know, separate corners. If you take your middle three fingers and you grab some flour, right, that's called a Kamitsa. And that's a certain amount of flour that you would take for the Korban Mincha, one of the offerings that a, that a poor person would actually bring. Right, because you know it was expensive to bring like an ox or something like like a, you know like a cow or something like that. That, that was a big thing. So um, what's kind of cool about this? Why it's a cool visualization is because Hawaiians who talk about the big Kahuna, right? Kahuna comes from the word Kohen. This is the symbol of the of the, of the big Kahuna, which is the middle three fingers down and the pinky and the thumb out, right? And this is like kind of like a cool like a Hawaiian peace symbol, right? But this is how the Kohen would make the Kamitsa. Anyway, so, so Haman says, that three fingers worth of flour outdid my 10,000 talents of silver. Talent is a giant measure of silver, which is how much money Haman gave to Ahasuerus to purchase the right to destroy the Jewish people. Right, which is like basically like billions of dollars. So, so when Haman experienced this downturn, he was like, what are you teaching them? And they said, I'm teaching them about the, the Kamitsa. And he's like, that three fingers worth of flour undid my whole 10,000, you know, talents of silver. Okay. <laughs> so now listen to this. In Parsha's Tzav, which we just read, chapters, chapter 6, verse 8, listen to this. Now, what, I'm showing you how Purim and Pesach have to be connected, right? So here's verse 8. He shall separate it with his three fingers full, some of the fine flour of the meal offering and some of its oil and all the frankincense that is on the meal offering, and he shall cause them to go up and smoke on the altar for a satisfying aroma, its memorial portion unto Hashem. Okay, that's the Kamitsa. That's what Haman says, save the entire Jewish people, right? Okay? That's verse 8. Here's verse 9. You ready? Aaron's sons shall eat what is left of it. It shall be eaten unleavened in a holy place. Matzah. It's talking about eating matzah. Make that three kamitzas of flour. Bless you. Make that three kamitzas of flour. And the three kamitzas is talking about the redemption of Purim. And the next verse says, turn it into matzah. That's Purim becoming Pesach. You see it right here. You see it right here. You know, everything is in the Torah. You just have to have the eyes to see it. Everything is in the Torah. Everything is in the Torah. So, anyway, should all be blessed.